It's got a soul, this hero farm. It falls asleep inside my arms. We walk the fields under the stars. But love is here in Goldshaw Farms. Welcome to Goldshaw Farm. I'm your host, Morgan Gold. On each episode of our podcast, we bring you stories of people who are homesteading, farming, and chasing their dreams. And well, today's episode, because it's the first one of the year and I'm back after a little bit of a break, I felt like the story that you guys should get should be about us and what we're doing here at Goldshaw Farm. Um, You know, while I had the little break and, and time off, I was doing just a ton of thinking and reflecting. Because for us, 2019 was pretty incredible in terms of the growth that we experienced at the farm, the evolution, the ups, the downs, the whole nine yards. And so I figured, you know, since I don't talk about it a ton on this here podcast, I'd take a little time today and tell you guys the story of what happened to us regarding our ducks and the addition of a new animal that we needed to get because we needed to help our ducks. You know, here on our farm, we keep ducks and geese, and we've got a couple of hobby chickens. The ducks are kept for meat and eggs. Um, I've been keeping the ducks now. Uh, I did. I've gone through two seasons of it. So, I, I, in the spring of 2018, we got our first 40 khaki Campbell ducks here on the farm, and uh, we've been keeping those ducks. And we've added a couple of, of randos here and there. Uh, we've got a couple Pekins, we've got a couple Cayugas in the mix right now, um, but mostly they're Khaki Campbell ducks. And, you know, we get them in there, we basically keep the females for eggs, and we end up culling most of the males for meat. Um, it's it's something I feel like is a really important practice uh, when, you're, when you're doing commercial egg raising. Um, you know, a lot of parts of the egg industry suffer from this awful situation where uh, male chicks, whether they're drakes or roosters, are are not valued. Um, So, so, you know, the females, obviously, are the ones that lay eggs. And so the the breeds that produce those females are valued. But the males of those species generally are not because while you can harvest them for meat, they're significantly smaller than your typical meat. Uh, chicken or meat duck um, you know the, the breeds that are good layers generally aren't good meat birds and vice versa the good meat birds are not good layers and so you're you're confronted with this situation where you have all these roosters or drakes in my case and uh, I feel though ethically you should be responsible for raising those male birds and giving them a good, happy, healthy life up until that last day, which you know it's it's their time, and 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 so what we do is we have that practice where we call the males, and so like I said, we've kept these ducks now for a couple of years, and and we've got uh, actually now a couple generations in the mix, and it's it's kind of a cool thing to see our our duck flock as it's evolved. Um, but back in April, uh, April, 2019, uh, one morning I was actually going out to the, uh, duck house to do my morning chores like I always do. And I noticed that while usually when I walk up to our duck house, I will hear, you know, the, the early morning quacking and everybody wanting to get out. Um, the duck house was actually silent. 
And the closer and closer I got to the duck house, the more and more panicked I became. And as I got up to the house, I immediately looked into the window that we have on the south side right next to the door. And inside that window, all I could see were our two Pekin ducks, uh, Samuel and Jemima at the time. And, and they were just red. They were covered in blood. And my heart just sank. I immediately ripped open the door to see what was going on. The ducks immediately streamed out. And I could see that most of them had been attacked and injured. They had uh, bite or cut marks on the back of their head. And when I did a quick head count, I noticed that I was missing one of the ducks. And, and whew, good golly, I, I was scared. I, I got him out of the house. I, I searched around the house, looked around, couldn't find that missing duck. It, it ultimately took about two or three hours later before I could find uh, that missing dead duck uh, buried uh, behind some straw that we kept as bedding inside the, the duck house. Um, Allison and I took care of the ducks. We tended to their wounds and we ultimately got to a place where we decided that we were going to try to re-fortify the duck house. This duck house admittedly was somewhat porous. It's uh, it's an old three-sided hay shed that I added a fourth wall to and then wrapped it up with uh, chicken wire to make it generally predator-proof. Um, but <laughs> I didn't apparently make it predator-proof enough because I found a spot where uh, some sort of animal had burrowed underneath it and snuck through and uh, had done the damage and subsequently also snuck out. <sighs> so that that night I was very anxious and I, I set up game cameras all around and I, I re-fortified all the chicken wire like I said and I actually put out several traps uh, hoping to catch the animal if I could. And so so I waited. I went out there and checked a couple times uh, while I wandered around with my shotgun. Um, all in all, just really hoping to catch the, the culprit and hope that they come back but catch him before they came back. Well, that next morning I went out there. I, I looked in the traps and I saw a skunk. And I thought, hmm, that's weird really didn't seem like the skunk would be the one to do that much damage to a flock of ducks, but okay. And then I got into the duck house, and I saw that the ducks had been attacked again, and I had two dead ducks lying in the duck house. <laughs> I will say, there was no point in my short farming career that I did not feel like a failure. I guess no, no point where I felt like a bigger failure, I should say, uh, than that moment where for two nights in a row, the same animal broke into my duck house and attacked my birds, injured most of them, and killed them. And, and again, so, you know, I lost one the night before, I lost two that night, and I ended up losing about uh, three ducks altogether due to injuries. Um, there were a couple that, there was, uh, I guess there was one that I had to put down, uh, one that just subsequently just died on her own, and then there were actually, uh, there was one that, was seriously injured but sort of hung on for a very long time but eventually got attacked by some sort of aerial predator and died um and and so you know five duck losses that i'll chalk up to that attack and you know well the first one you could say wasn't my fault even though it probably was because i should have had them in a more secure house second one mo most definitely and by the way that skunk that was in the have a heart trap 
that that wasn't even uh, the, the culprit. He just happened to be a, an innocent bystander, and I ended up releasing him into a faraway forest. <laughs> and, you know, I spent a good eight weeks out there regularly trying to trap that uh, animal. The game camera footage actually revealed that the, the animal that I had been contending with was a mink. Um, and, and so I know exactly what it was. And so I spent a lot of time, I got uh, uh, heart traps, I had uh, what are known as conibear traps, and, and I was you know, trapping all over the forest, trapping near the ducks, uh, being very careful not to trap my barn cats. But you know, I, I really will admit, I, I got kind of sort of a predator bloodlust after that point. I wanted revenge. <laughs> um, but as the spring wore on and it got into be summer, I noticed that the predator issues seemed to die back. Um, you know, I find that the predator pressure often comes the most in the spring because you think about it, right? In the summer, there's uh, plenty of other animals and uh, plenty of easier picking for a predator to go after versus uh, a farm with ducks and potential traps and other other things that could be wandering around. And so. Uh, you know, those predators generally want to stay away, but in the springtime, things are lean and everybody's really hungry. And, and so that's when you get desperate measures like a mink breaking into a duck house. Uh, and, and so, but in that summer, things kind of relaxed a bit. I, I got less uh, concerned with things. Um, I got looser with my security again. I, I actually set to work towards uh, building a second duck house, one that would be uh, much more predator secure than the the one that had the attacks. Um, that was a very smart move, I feel like, on my part because it it kept everybody pretty uh, safe. And and so far, knock on wood, um, the the duck house that I completed has has been absolutely airtight when it comes to predators. And so so that's that's been a good thing. Um, but you know, I like I said, my security got pretty relaxed. I started to let the ducks free range more because they, they can get so much of their diet from free ranging about three or four acres worth of pasture and just letting them go where they will and searching for where all the bugs and insect, uh, creepy crawlies and anything that they'd want, worms, um, are in the pasture because that's, that's really what their go-to is. And as I did that, things were fine. But then one day, I guess it was, uh, in early September, you know, again, the fall, everybody's starting to realize that the winter months are coming and, and you know, bulking up for winter. And uh, I, I heard some panicked uh, activity out in the pasture. I was up front closer to the barn working on a project, the building project. And so I sprinted out back and noticed that the ducks and geese were sort of freaked out and there's something had gone on. And I did a quick head count and I noticed, oh, I was missing another duck. So, uh, um, Samson and, or I'm sorry, Samuel and Jemima Puddle Duck, again, who are two white Pekins, the ones that were covered in blood, who ended up being fine after the mink attack, they had actually given birth to, uh, two offspring that year, uh, I'd hatched two ducks from them, uh, both of them obviously were Pekin, um, one of them was, uh, Samson, who is, you know, Samuel, son of Sam, uh, Allison didn't like the idea of calling him some son of Sam, but so we ended up calling him Sam's son. And he was uh, kind of a weird-looking duck with like missing a lot of his fuzz, but 
He has now grown to be the biggest duck I have ever seen. He is a massive, massive Pekin duck. Um, and and then he had his sister, Delilah, who's kind of like a normal white Pekin duck. Nothing really remarkable about her. But after I did that head count in that afternoon in September, I noticed, you know what? Delilah's gone too. <sighs> I, I realized really quickly that something had happened and a predator had been there. I quickly looked off towards the woods that are not too far from where the ducks and geese were and looking around there, while I didn't find a carcass, I found a couple of prints of what I thought was either a coyote or a bobcat and I saw a couple, I'm talking like four or five white feathers which would suggest uh, that's Delilah right there. And I never saw Delilah again and uh, she got carried off by whatever animal went in there. And again, nothing makes you feel like a bigger failure than when you have animals that go missing like that. You, you know, as a farmer, even when you're raising your birds for, for meat um, and you're comfortable with the fact that at some point they will die, I, I still find that it stings. Uh, you know, I was actually talking to a friend of mine the other day. Uh, she has like some chickens and, and uh, ducks, I think, and a couple of other things just kind of wandering around her property. Uh, she lives in the rural area. She doesn't really farm so much as homestead. Um, and, and she was saying that when she loses an animal to a predator, she feels like it's all part of the natural order. And I kind of get that. I mean, there is a price. There is a tax to be paid for having animals. Um, predators are doing only what's in their nature. Um, so you really can't fault them. You really can't get angry with them. But at the same time, as a farmer, it just stings just a little bit when you lose one because you see the dollar signs and, and you feel that impact. And you also just, I don't know, you feel like you're responsible for them. And, you know, there's only really one specific way you want to see them go. You know, I, I've often harbored this thought, right, that that feeling is probably more driven by, like, biological competition than anything else, meaning, like, you know, look, that at the end of the day, if you're raising birds for meat, you are the predator of that animal. And seeing some other predator come in and snatch what is your food sort of, I think, triggers this like primal urge inside of you. Um, so I'm sure that that plays a, a part of it. I know I felt those emotions over the past year as I'd been dealing with the predator problems. Um, but, you know, <laughs> that is what it is, as they say. Um, so, you know, I lost Delilah and I kind of went on with things and, you know, I was taking heart in the fact that the ducks were now living in this secure duck house, but I knew that they wouldn't always be perfectly safe. And, you know, the, the Delilah incident actually took place. It was like, uh, I don't know, two o'clock in the afternoon. So it wasn't like darker or anything. So something came out and saw an easy meal and grabbed it, um, right in daylight. And, and so, <sighs> I got to thinking about the fact that I probably need some sort of protection, better protection than I had. And, you know, as I talked to a lot of people, a lot of folks recommended getting a livestock guardian dog. Um, you know, there's, there's, you know, several different breeds that are great for living specifically with animals, living outdoors full time, and, and being really trained to be protective of that animal. And, and from a, I don't know, I'll call it a permaculturalist uh, point of view. There's some sort of benefit when you think about the role that that livestock guardian dog plays in your ecosystem. Um, 
where you know you have predators like coyotes and bobcats. Essentially, they're wandering around looking for small prey, keeping that small prey um, or small animals in check in terms of their population numbers. So bobcats and coyotes are generally eating a lot of mice and voles and that sort of thing. Um, but they'll eat a bird or two, and you know if they can find a chicken or a duck, they would love to feast on one of those. Um, and so that's the role that they're playing in the ecosystem. By introducing a dog, you're adding another pseudo-predator into the mix, but only a predator that you've trained and you have some control over. And so, you know, predators don't like to pile up on top of each other. They will, if they find some claimed territory, generally try to shy away. Either they're going to try to fight them if they feel like they might be the apex predator or at least a higher level predator than the one that currently has that territory established. But uh, generally speaking, they're not going to, you know, just go in there unless they're, they're really hurting for territory or, or really feeling like they are the uh, absolute alpha. <laughs> and so um, by having a livestock guardian dog, essentially what you're doing is you are creating a uh, predator bubble around your farm. You are putting an animal in place that's saying, no, this is my territory and any animal that comes even remotely near it, I'm going to bark and scare them away and fight them if I have to and uh, I'm going to pee all around the perimeter and mark my territory and say this is mine and let everybody know that yeah this is my territory and and that's the general premise that you have behind uh, livestock guardian dogs. Uh, You know sometimes they will fight an animal but generally speaking most of the hard work that a livestock guardian dog is doing is, is just by virtue of the fact that they're there and they're a presence and they're scaring away uh, a, a, another predator that could do your animals harm. So I started to think about this idea of getting a livestock guardian dog. It, you know, it wasn't necessarily something that originally I was all that interested in. Um, I've always wanted a farm dog, but after having some challenging experiences, and I actually outlined this in a YouTube video, uh, dealing with um, you know raising a dog as a teenager and doing an absolutely horrible job, such a bad job, in fact, that my mom actually made me give away the dog. Uh, I, I, I always regretted the mistakes I made there, and I didn't want to get a farm dog until I felt ready. And, and in my mind, I had this picture of getting some sort of collie that I could use a herd or like, you know, an Australian shepherd or an English shepherd that I could, I could use them to herd the ducks around. And like, that's what I wanted. But, uh, I, I couldn't quite figure out a way to do it because, you know, my work schedule, travel schedule, farm schedule, it just, it wasn't going to be feasible that I could be ready and available for a puppy. But a livestock guardian dog, which is a type of dog, you know, again, you're leaving it outside, you're having it bond to the animals it's supposed to guard. I don't know. I could kind of figure out a way to make it work with my schedule and 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 how I could take care of it. And so I got into researching the topic, and I even talked to a friend of mine, David, who, who happened to have uh, livestock guardian dogs of his own, and he was telling me, you know, he has uh, one male who had actually just impregnated a litter with a breeder out in Maine and was saying, hey, you know, they're probably going to have some puppies if you're interested. And and so after talking it over with my wife, Allison, uh, I made the decision to get this livestock guardian puppy. Um, the breed of dog is a uh, Marema. 
But, you know, again, the the puppies were all born on, I believe, I believe it was like Labor Day weekend. And I still wasn't quite ready for, for having them come and they weren't ready to come yet. Um, in the weeks and months leading up, or I guess weeks and about two months leading up to uh, the, the dog arriving on the farm, I started to notice, though, predator activity increasing. In fact, one evening uh, while I was just finishing putting the ducks to bed right around, I don't know, it was like right around sunset, I heard some rustling off into the grass just off to the side of the duck yard. And at first I thought it was the barn cats because they have a tendency to wander around and, and kind of do their thing around the property. And, um, you know, in fact, actually having barn cats in and of themselves is another way that I'm mimicking nature. So if I have this dog that's going to create a predator bubble, I have the barn cats who are filling in that role of eating a lot of the small vermin that comes through. And, and so... You know, I'm a big fan of our barn, barn cats, as I've mentioned many times before and made many a, a video about. <laughs> but I looked because I thought it was a barn cat, and I noticed that, nope, the barn cats are actually on the other side of the, the duck house. So, so this noise was coming from the south, and the barn cats, I could clearly see them, were right to the north. And so I knew something was there. So I, I picked up a rock, and I decided to throw it at whatever was making that noise. And the second I threw that rock, a bobcat just goes scampering out of some tall grass and runs off into the woods. I mean, this is, again, 25 feet away from me or so. Um, and I was shocked. <laughs> so immediately that next day, I mowed all the tall grass that I had around and tried to keep uh, things as safe as I possibly could. But I was really worried and I was really hoping that that puppy would come sometime very, very soon. Um, you know, even about, th I think it was about three weeks later, I, you know, I, I'd been noticing lots of signs of bobcat wandering around. I'd been noticing prints in the, near the stream over right by the duck house. I'd noticed uh, some mud prints over by the um, barn. And so there was definitely a, a bobcat stalking us. About three weeks later, I actually was walking around the farm. Uh, it was about 7 o'clock in the morning. And boom, there that bobcat was again, this time even closer. I, I even actually had a chance to like whip out my uh, phone and, and get some video footage of it. So it just it, it kind of blows my mind just how aggressive this bobcat was. And, and I, I just count myself as lucky because I'm, I'm pretty certain that that bobcat was the one that got uh, Delilah Puddle Duck. Uh, but I'm just counting myself lucky that that was the only duck I lost to the event. Well, fast forward a little bit to, uh, let's see, I guess it was right after, it was Black Friday actually, so right after Thanksgiving, my friend David were and I were in his truck driving towards a breeder in Maine, and we were showing up at her farm to uh, pick up a couple of puppies. Um, and so David was getting the female, I was getting the male. And we brought this livestock guardian puppy back to my farm. And I got to tell you guys, I feel like I made a new best friend over the last uh, 35, 45 days that he's been here. He has just been the ultimate dog. And I have been so happy to have him. Uh, his full official name is uh, Sir Bartleby de Mimsy Porpington. Uh, we call him Toby for short. Uh, 
I think that was Allison's idea. She really liked it. I thought it was funny, so I'm totally into it. <laughs> and and Toby has been a great dog. He lives outside, actually, in the old duck house. So that three-sided hay shed that I, I mentioned that I'd added the fourth wall to. He's actually living inside that. I built a pen for him that almost surrounds the, the duck yard like a moat. Um, I know this is hard to describe in a podcast, but if you guys watch one of our recent videos, you'll see Toby, you'll see the ducks, and you'll see sort of how he's set up uh, bordering the duck yard. And uh, he's been great. He's been obedient. I have to, because he's still a puppy, he's uh, only, let's see, he came, he was about three months old, he's, so he's about four, four and a half months old right now. He um, is still learning. You know, I have to correct him, but but generally speaking, he's very obedient. I've been able to teach him uh, come, sit, stay, leave it already uh, in a relatively short amount of time. He, uh, he just has become my constant companion while I'm doing my chores in the morning. So I, I let him out immediately as the first thing I do every morning, and he just follows me around with every little step. But then when it comes time for me to put him back out there, I leave him out there for the day with the ducks and he's out there watching them and he's out there at night watching them. And and it's just kind of incredible. Uh, I think actually when I was recording the last podcast, you could kind of hear him in the background um, as the coyotes were out there at night. Uh, He will bark back at the coyotes. And I think the most remarkable thing is as I've been uh, wandering around the property looking for signs of other animals Ever since Toby showed up, things have uh, significantly spiked down. In fact, I have not seen any other uh, animals, whether it be varmints or uh, predators, uh, around the farm, at least within uh, kind of about 300 yards of where we have like all the birds and all of our, our farm animals. Um, you know, it's almost like, Toby has created that predator bubble right around where the ducks and geese and chickens are. He, uh, you know, as I walk him around the property, I love to watch him just kind of uh, pee and make his fence line to say, yeah, this is my territory. Um, and, and you know, I still see some coyotes up in the upper pasture, but, you know, that's a, that's a pretty far ways away from us. Um, and so they're not getting close anymore. Um, the, the, the howls and, and yelps that I hear at night are sounding much further away. Um, and with all the snow on the ground, I had been able to track, uh, bobcat prints and I have not seen a bobcat print ever since Toby showed up. And so it's been really good. It's been a really good evolution for our farm. And, uh, it's amazing how things have changed. Um, and kind of the unexpected joy I've had of, of bringing on this, this, uh, dog but uh it's been pretty awesome so that is uh just a story for you guys about our farm i hope you guys enjoyed it as always i really enjoy the feedback you guys can offer me um and and any thoughts or reactions you have as well as how you continue to share the podcast um and and so uh if you can go on itunes or spotify or stitcher or google play or wherever you're listening to this podcast and write a review a kind review, please. <laughs> and and uh, just let people know how much you like the show. And, and I really appreciate the support. And if you want to see some of the things that I just described in this episode visually, uh, be sure to go on our um, YouTube channel, Goldshaw Farm. 
in fact, I will leave a link in the show notes for this episode to a video that I put together uh, um, about a week or two ago that sort of recaps our entire 2019 on the farm. If you're just new to our YouTube channel, it's the absolute best place to start because you can kind of see a big part of our story. A lot of it I referenced here in this this episode, but you'll you'll see a lot of pictures. You'll see everything kind of brought to life. And I, I, look, I know I'm very biased, but I think it's a good video. So with that, we will be back next week with uh, another episode. Um, Until then, I will ask my good friend, Mr. Keith Pierce, to please play our theme song. Thanks. It's got a soul, this hero farm. It falls asleep inside my arms. We work the fields under the stars. The love is here at Goldshaw Farms. City life, yeah, had its charms But we would dream of the fields under the stars I fall asleep inside its arms The love is here at Goldshop Farms The love is here at Goldshop Farms